Truth Espresso, episode 155. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. <sighs> That's why God gave us espresso to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Well, hey there, friends, family, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick of the Truth Espresso podcast, and I have a really special episode. I know that every episode, of course, is special, but I think episodes where I get to interview someone or be interviewed myself is its own special way special. And so I would like to present for your listening pleasure an interview that I actually got to be on back on November 10th of last year, and it was aired November 15th, and this was an interview that I and actually my own twin brother John, who is the co-author with me of our book, When the Watchtower Knocks, we got to both be interviewed at the same time by Keith Helsley of Quest for Truth, and so my brother got to join in on the podcast action there. And this is the second time that I've been a guest on Quest for Truth. So I will provide a link to both of those appearances in the show notes, but especially a link to the original airing of this interview. On July 17th of last year, my brother John and I released our co-authored book, When the Watchtower Knocks, discussing an encounter with Jehovah's Witnesses. And so we both get to share our experience with Jehovah's Witnesses and with our knowledge of what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. And this interview is packed with really cool information about that. So you get to see some discussion about how Jehovah's Witnesses try to explain that Jesus is not God and even why they don't believe that Jesus died on a cross. They believe that Jesus died on a torture stake, and there's some interesting tidbits about that, some Bible verses, some history, even some manuscript evidence, and even like how they treat what we would consider communion. They observe it once a year, and it's it's pretty interesting how they handle that. So this was one really cool interview. So you get to hear both minics here talking about our book, When the Watchtower Knocks, and Jehovah's Witnesses. And so, without further ado, here is our interview, aired November 15th on the Quest for Truth podcast. And both Truth Espresso and Quest for Truth are members of the Christian podcast community from Striving for Eternity Ministries. This is the Life Truth Network. Hey everybody, this is your host Keith, and welcome to uh, Quest for Truth. Uh, I'm in church house studios in the, the basement, <laughs> deep in the bowels of the church house, and uh, I had to do a special setup uh, due to the uh, special nature of having a lot of kids in the house and doing needing to do an interview. Uh, speaking of that, I will be joined here by uh, Daniel Menick and his brother John. And we'll be talking about their book that was released last summer uh, about Jehovah's Witnesses and what to say. Uh, I won't have my co-host with me today. He couldn't, he couldn't make it this time of the, the day. Uh, but anyway, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, so we'll go ahead and introduce ourselves to Daniel and John. Okay, you want me to go first? Uh, this is Daniel. <laughs> so my name is Daniel Minnick, and I am the host of the Truth Espresso podcast. And as you mentioned, Keith, uh, my brother John here and I released the book When the Watchtower Knocks by Truth Hub Publishing, which is our uh, publishing imprint on July 17th. And this was based on a conversation that John had with some Jehovah's Witnesses that came to his door about six years ago now. And 
and and then I had an interview with him, kind of like we're, what we're doing now. But I interviewed him for a old version of a podcast that I was doing, and we actually tried to interview during work break um, in my car before I really understood proper podcasting equipment there. And so the audio quality wasn't really the best, but what we did talk about there as uh, John relayed his experience and um, I asked him questions about it and gave some commentary. And so what we produced from that was some podcast episodes that uh, the audio quality wasn't very good, but the content was worth a book. And so uh, transcribing it, um, editing it uh, heavily to make it uh, readable, getting rid of some ums and ahs and stuff like that, wordiness. We have a nice readable book to show a genuine encounter with Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's one of the remarkable thing is when you read the book, it reads just like you're having a conversation. Uh, and as I was reading, I thought, it almost sounded like, like a podcast. <laughs> just back and forth dialogue. Is that, so that's interesting. I wasn't really aware of that, I guess. It started that way. <laughs> it shows that you can turn podcasts into books, and I've seen things uh, talking about online about uh, content repurposing, and this is the this is a good example of it how you can reuse content. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's not a very long read. I think I, I got the Kindle edition, digital, and I read straight through, and it might have took me about two and a half or three and a half hours. So it's fairly short read for books as books go, but it's very deep theological stuff in the conversational tone. I think that's a good, you know, my, my best uh, you know, takeaway selling point on it is that. But uh, I'll leave with you once you tell us, uh, if John wants to kick in some conversation here and tell us about what happens in the book. Yeah, so John, John, do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your encounter there? <laughs> okay. <clears throat> my Yeah, my name is John Minnick. I'm Daniel's Minnick's twin brother. I'm supposedly two minutes younger than he is. So in some ways, I kind of look to him like an older brother in that sense. But yeah, um, I Daniel got into apologetics maybe a couple years before I did. And he was always trying to tell me that I should get into it. But I was always refusing, telling him that I'm just not good at memorizing verses. Maybe I'm just not as interested as he is in it. However, um, in, I believe, February of um, okay, 2015, um, we, we were both working at the same company and all of a sudden, Daniel just uh, sent me some audio copy of like James White's lecture on the doctrine of the Trinity. And I started listening to it and I'm thinking, Hey, uh, this is better than just working in silence. So he started sending me more stuff, including James White's lecture on Jehovah's witnesses. And we were listening to that along with some other lectures and debates. And we just did that for like, three months and later um all of a sudden in the summer i think it was august 1st while i was living in the apartment a jehovah's witness knocked at my door and i had never really engaged with a jehovah's witness and prior to those three months i i didn't even think much about the doctrine of the trinity i didn't know much about what jehovah's witnesses believe but just in those three months i had all this stuff fresh in my mind so when he visited me this saturday afternoon i was kind of nervous about engaging with him but i decided uh, to break the ice with him and well we chatted for like three and a half hours on all kinds of subjects and they're all in that book so a lot of times i joke with dad you know like i think you know, poor Nick and Vince, like they had no idea that when they were coming around, just handing out 
tracks to invite people to see their play that they would converse with someone who would end up making the conversation into a book, which kind of shows that you can pretty much turn anything into a book if it, if it's interesting um, or, uh, you know, thought provoking. Yeah. I think you guys did a a pretty good job of being thought provoking. Like I said, you combine some, some heavy theological things there in your, ordeal mm. you know as I, I was I have to say, i'm impressed because in the book you do admit you weren't really up on apologetics of scripture but the, the way it comes out in the book you seem a lot smarter than what you want to admit <laughs> yeah i know it's surprising how much you can learn in three months if you're listening to a bunch of lectures and debates on something like you know such as jehovah's witnesses and then all of a sudden you come come across one and you're like man all this stuff's still fresh in my mind wow <laughs> yeah. well that's great yeah i mean because obviously a lot of people i think even in your book you made to mention that some people just slam the door in their face or just not interested and i know you know myself being a christian that was my go-to approach is i didn't want to hear it and i just send them on their way yeah. Uh, but just before I started recording, I was telling Daniel that I did have an experience through the course of the summer. Uh, I did a lot of listening because I absolutely did not know about what they believed. And it was kind of education just listening to their not quite accurate doctrine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, I just uh, this, this is your time, so uh, say whatever you want to say. Uh, about uh, what you learned or what they might have learned from you or I mean I, I, I get gathered from the book that Daniel wasn't a part of this original encounter yeah I wasn't involved in the actual uh, encounter because after John had it he texted me and told me hey I just had a, conver- a three hour conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses so I wanted to know about that and he kind of outlined it for me and then i thought oh this would be uh really good for a podcast so i asked him questions about what they talked about he tried to recall everything he could and then um they told him that like as we put in the last chapter of the book they told him and he arranged to uh, have them visit him again in two weeks. And I really wanted in on this. So um, I came over to his apartment. I brought uh, some books, like uh, uh, basically like uh, Greek uh, New Testament and like wow. everything apologetic I could think of and had a list of verses like, you know, the Septuagint cross-referencing with the New Testament, you know, like all this stuff that I knew uh, James White would use. And then, yeah, they never showed up, like not that day and not any day afterwards. So I figured um, they probably mentioned to the elders at the uh, at the kingdom hall there about their encounter and probably asked about showing up again. And then the elders probably asked them what the encounter was like. And since John showed some knowledge of it, they probably told him, yeah, you probably shouldn't go back there. It's <laughs> you're on the list <laughs> yeah so they probably yeah john i know joked that uh, you know how i don't know if you ever heard of uh, james white's lectures on jehovah's witnesses about how they have their ministry maps and their maps will x houses that have active opposers so someone who's talked with a jehovah's witness who shows who demonstrates knowledge of the Bible that, okay, they, they'll X a house on their maps to show, okay, don't return to this house, avoid this house. And so John joked to me about like, yeah, when he moved out of the apartment, he did them a favor because they probably have that apartment number X'd on their ministry map. So the new tenants probably won't have to worry about Jehovah's Witnesses visiting them. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I did notice in the book, you actually gave the apartment uh, number. I thought, wow, you're awful brave to publish that. 
And then you're yeah. now we moved since then. But okay. Yeah, I mean, of course I don't. I didn't mention the address or the name of the apartment. So <laughs> okay. Yeah, but like now, now, what is some of the key uh, areas that, that you recall that the Jehovah Witness might might talk to somebody about, like you know, Trinity? Obviously, uh, they believe in a different type of a Jesus than typical Christians do. Uh, is there anything else that would come to mind, or can you maybe expand on something on those topics? Of course. Um... The, one of the fir- the first verse that Nick brought up with me was John 1, 1 in the New World Translation. And, of course, he emphasized that that verse said, a God, and then he clarified in his view. So that so that means Jesus is not is a God, but he's not the God. <laughs> and then you. Yeah, and that, that's definitely a good point. And people who don't understand the Greek behind that maybe don't get how important the little word the can be in the Greek because it, it it can change the meaning of a noun. Yeah. I know that in the book we did talk a little bit and about John 1 1. Uh, we also did mention as uh, you know James White would say don't go to John 1 1 if you could help it but you know you can discuss it later on, but yeah, John did um, kind of uh, discuss that with him. But in the book, we talked a little bit about what John one one means and how you know the there is no indefinite article there. You know, there's nothing that would indicate a god, and you know, it's a you know, kai theos ain't halagos. The uh, theos there is a pre-verbal and arthrous predicate nominative indicating quality, like like describing the nature of the logos of the word there, Jesus, rather than indicating which God he is. It's saying that he's God by nature. And so, yeah, that's what the Jehovah's right. Witnesses won't accept. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and further down in John, it, it kind of hammers at home because it says, you know, the word became flesh, you know, the word meaning the word that was in John 1, the word meaning that Jesus is what who became flesh. So mm-hmm. clearly, you have to take it in its context. Uh, yeah, it's just saying that Jesus is, is God, he's the nature of God, Jesus has the nature of man as well. Yeah, that can be difficult, no doubt. <laughs> Another interesting thing about this topic is to engage Jehovah's Witnesses about uh, about who they claim Jesus is. Like they they believe that Jesus was Michael the Archangel. You know, before he was Jesus the Man, he was Michael the Archangel, the first and greatest uh, creation of Jehovah God, the only direct creation. And then through Michael, Jehovah God created all other things. So, you know, Jehovah God directly created Michael the Archangel, and then Michael the Archangel becomes the master worker, who then, through the power of Jehovah, Michael creates and fashions all other things. But then once uh, <laughs> once Jesus of Nazareth is conceived in the womb of Mary, Michael the Archangel uh, poofs out of existence, basically. So they don't really have a doctrine of incarnation the way we understand it. So they don't believe that Jesus was one person with two natures. Basically, Jehovah God destroyed Michael and created the human Jesus. So when Jesus was on the earth, he was just a human being, not not an angel and a human, just a human. You know, the, the first creature disappeared, a new creature's created. So then you have Jesus, the human, um, on earth for 33 and a half years. And then in uh, chapter three of the book, we talk about the uh, John talks with the Jehovah's Witnesses about the resurrection that wasn't because they don't really have a, 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 a biblical understanding of resurrection. So in their understanding, the human Jesus dies, um, then 
Jehovah God re- recreates the spirit creature, Michael, the archangel, and not raising him in the body that died. The body that died is still dead there, and God just recreates a spirit creature. <laughs> so that I'm sure you'll have I'm sure you'll have questions then about well then <laughs> what about Thomas asking about the print of the nails if this really isn't the body that died? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting there. <laughs> there there's some explaining to do with that. Uh, yeah, and, and clearly in the, those verses and chapters between the resurrection and the ascension and the clouds, Jesus has definitely been seen among men, walked among men, eaten meals with men, uh, being touched and examined by men. I mean, it's pretty clear. <laughs> and I and I thought of, I joked in the book like. What exact like I asked? What exactly, in their view, is the purpose of Michael the Archangel? If Jehovah has to destroy him to create Jesus, like why didn't he just create Jesus and leave Michael the Archangel alone? And yeah. and like when Jesus died, why did he re? I mean, you can make more sense that after Jesus died, he recreated Michael the Archangel, but. You know, why did he have to destroy Michael the Archangel to create Jesus? And if so, I asked, what exactly is the role of Michael the Archangel if we don't need him for 33 and a half years? <laughs> and it's not even the same Michael as before. It's Michael 2.0. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. And so um, it, it's an interesting discussion with Jehovah's Witnesses. I know that uh, John did when he was asking them questions about, you know, um, Jesus told his disciples when they were afraid, he said, does a spirit have flesh and bones as you see me have? And Nick there, you know, didn't really get the whole point of that as if Jesus is saying, as you see me have, like their, their senses don't really describe what's actually happening there. Like they see <laughs> this body but it's not the real body that died. You know, so as you mentioned, Keith, Jesus ate fish with the disciples after his resurrection, but how can a spirit creature do that? And what's the point of that? And as I mentioned, Thomas, uh, you know, says, except I see the print of the nails in his hands and thrust my hand to the side, I won't believe. And then, so Jesus then appears and shows his, he shows these wounds to Thomas and says, be not faithless, but believing. So what exactly is Thomas believing there if what the body that Jesus or Michael materialized for Thomas is not the one that was actually impaled on the torture stake, which is another topic we could talk about with Jehovah's Witnesses, because they don't believe Jesus died on a cross. They believe he died on an upright pole that they call a torture stake, and their well, reasoning I, I, for I that. I kind of caught that nuance. I mean, I, I've heard of that before, but until you, I read it in your book, it's, it didn't really dawn on me why they consider that to be so important, because I mean, the Romans were pretty uh, good at crucifying people, and they did impale them on, you know, crosses or stakes or whatever. But, uh, but either way, to me, it's splitting hairs on terminology, but it really ends up being important why they consider it to be a stake. Yeah, the, the, the reason for that, of course, is to make a point of contention to pit them against uh, mainstream Christianity. So technically it isn't, you know, a hill to die on, but they make it a hill to die on because they want to show, you know, you, you've been duped, you're wrong about this. And so if they can convince you about that, you ask the question, well, what else am I wrong about? These guys are right about this. So they must be right the right organization to join, but the torture stake idea, it, it, their argument is that the Greek word staros, which we see translated as cross in our Bibles, um, technically originally just means a, 
upright polar stake, you know, a, a long piece of wood. And that's technically true, but that doesn't mean that the definition of words um, and their connotation doesn't change over time. Because so the Romans, when they would crucify people, they could have these star osses <laughs> um, sticking out of the ground. You know, sometimes someone might carry the star os, sometimes they might have a, one already there, and then they can just put someone on it. But um, yeah, the star os there could actually refer to the whole structure, the whole instrument of of impalement, including the cross beam or as um, the Roman antiquities uh, document explains the patibulum. So, you know, the, you might have a criminal uh, have to be paraded through the streets in humiliation as the Romans would whip them as they're carrying this patibulum, the cross beam across their shoulders, and then they would be led up to the stake and be attached to that stake so yeah the jehovah's witnesses make a big issue of that but there's definitely scriptural evidence that the star os included a cross beam because you know it's i don't have the references but uh, maybe i do <laughs> in some of my notes but okay actually i do so uh, Luke twenty three thirty three describes how the criminals were one on his right hand and the other on the left. Sure, that doesn't prove it, but that's one line of evidence. The uh, Matthew twenty seven thirty seven mentions that the inscription that says this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, was set up over his head, not over his hands. <laughs> and then, of course. John twenty twenty five, where Thomas says, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, plural, the, uh, the plural genitive there, and put my finger, finger into the print of the nails, plural. Uh, but if you look at Jehovah's Witness literature, you'll see the uh, paintings or cartoon-ish images of Jesus with his hands above his head, with one nail through both of his hands attaching it to the stake. But, you know, Thomas said the print of the nails, plural, so one nail in each hand. Um, and then yeah. another another scriptural evidence possibly showing the, the structure there is in John 21, verses 18 through 19, where Peter is concerned about, uh, you know, the apostle John and Jesus saying that, you know, if it if it's my will that John tarries till I come, what is that to you? But then Peter or Jesus tells Peter about how he would die. And he says, when you're old, you will stretch forth your hands and so another one will uh, clothe you and carry you where you don't desire. And he said this, he spake signifying by what death he should glorify God. And then Jesus says, follow me. So it indicates that Peter's going to die in a similar manner that Jesus died, but he tells him he's going to stretch his hands and be carried. <laughs> yeah, and you know, um, it, it seems to me that the image of the cross is not something new that people in the first couple centuries clearly knew about it, and there were image imagery of that in people's uh, grave sites and things. So, yeah. It's not just something somebody made up a thousand years later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the Jehovah's Witness claim is that um, Constantine introduced the cross as a pagan phallic symbol based on the god Tammuz from, you know, Mithraism or whatever his pagan religion was. But yeah, we definitely have historical evidence, as you mentioned, there's there's a second to third century cave drawing, so at least a hundred years before Constantine, there's a cave drawing of a pagan mocking a Christian, and it shows a donkey uh, like attached to a cross with its arms stretched out, and it says, Alexa Menos worships his God. So it's mocking Christians work worshiping you know, the animal, because they'll talk about Jesus is the lamb that was slain, but they have a donkey there and they're mocking him. And, but it shows him 
and a cross structure. You also have the old the papyri manuscripts. I don't know if you've ever heard of the uh, Nomina Sacra, where the the old papyri manuscripts, like before we had the modern Greek ones, where you have lowercase letters, the minuscule manuscripts. Right. It used to be that you know um, before the scriptoriums and stuff, you had. Uh, Unseal manuscripts where everything's all capital letters, no spaces, no punctuation. But Christians developed this uh, way of copying manuscripts, and they had certain holy names and words uh, like Lord, um, God, Jesus, you know, Theos, and stuff. Um, they would abbreviate the word. And then they would um, have a line over the top. These were called the nomina sacra. So say theos, they would write it as a just the T and the S or, you know, theta sigma and put a line over it. But staros, as I mentioned, the word that Jehovah's Witnesses like to prove their case. This is very interesting because P75, P45, P66, these papyri manuscripts have what's called the starogram. So one of the nomina sacra is the word staros, abbreviated um, like S-T-R-S, you know, sigma, tau, rho, sigma. And uh, the way it's abbreviated, they'd have the T, the tau, and then the rho, the R, and the, the rho would be transfixed uh projected upward on the t and so it's like a little pictogram where they it looks like a, a human figure on a cross <laughs> and that's the actual word for staros to picture jesus on a cross <laughs> so yeah. yeah that's more proof that jesus they recognize that jesus died on a cross <laughs> yeah uh so uh, i mean the with my train of thought is the bottom line is it's kind of splitting hairs over terminology, but, but there really is more evidence that it really was a cross than just the state. Uh, the only point I can maybe say on their behalf is that whether, honestly, if, it's, if it's a cross, it can take days for someone to die on the cross. And of course, Jesus uh, died with, within a matter of hours. And on the one of your book, you mentioned, well, this is why it was a stake because they, they, could, they could die fast. Well, it, it's not the, the death on the cross itself. I mean, it was all the beatings and the scourging and the blood loss and dying of exposure that really is what people died of on the cross. It wasn't the fact he had nails in your hands or feet. There's a lot more behind it, a lot more gruesomeness that people really know about it's not just being nailed to a piece of wood but yeah it's definitely interesting that they (laughs) the elaborate uh, theories about something like that oh yeah like what just dawned on me like a couple days ago like the first verse that was mentioned in the book that Nick brought up was John 1, 1. The very last verse uh, that mentioned in the conversation by Nick was John 17, 3, which says, and this is life eternal that they may know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And he tried to emphasize G- that Jesus said, called the father, the only true God you know, to try to debunk the Trinity. But it's funny, if you think, if you actually take the first verse he mentioned to me and the last verse he mentioned to me and pair them up, it kind of brings a question to my mind. So first he, in John 1, 1, he says that, that basically claiming that the word was a God, but not the God. Yet John 17, 3, Jesus is calling the father, the only true God. So the question that comes to my mind is if you pair these verses together, would that be claiming that Jesus is a false God? Or, I mean, I'm sure some Jehovah's witnesses have an explanation for that, but it would have been interesting if I thought of a question (laughs) to ask Nick and see how he responded to that. 
Korea uses of that good old word the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get in trouble if you try to build too much elaborate theories out of little uh, words like the or having a steak. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's funny. Just a couple of days ago, I got uh, the Kingdom Interlinear translation of the Greek scriptures. Of course, if you go to John 1 1, they have the proper Greek there and they even have. English words under each Greek word. And so they have, they say under each word, they say in beginning was the word and the word was toward the God and God was the word. And of course, when, when they say, and God was the word, the God there, they have in lowercase, but God in the other, uh, uh, and the other words is in caps. But of course, then, the column to the right has the new world translation saying in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. And then they have a note there that says a God in contrast with the God. <laughs> See appendix <laughs> under John one, one. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Translating from Greek is definitely uh, a skill. <laughs> Uh, I, I I make my own notes as like that, where I, I take you know word for word, uh, you know, trans, transliteration like that when I'm writing my notes, and then I'll try to make sense out of it by comparing. Well, why does King James put this? How does NIV put this? How does NASV put this? And it's like okay, I, I see what you're doing. I, I see where they're coming up with this phraseology but some does it and, and most of the time in you know the jehovah's witness bible is it's close enough but they they do try to bend things a little bit yeah <laughs> so to fit their theory which goes back to uh, a book that they, they gave me to read called what the bible really says and after i read it it's like this isn't what the bible really said it's what you you're telling me the bible says and it's not what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah. Now, I understand you guys had a conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses just recently, right? Yeah. yeah. Did you want to talk about that? <laughs> yeah, you could start, John, if you want. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, let's see. Well, I know a couple weeks ago. I found a letter in my mailbox and it was from a Jehovah's witness and he attached a tract in there that was called like who really controls the world. And of course, when you read it, it kind of hints that it's Satan or, and I mean, it would show like pictures of like, looks like a Catholic priest and then like a bunch of uh, military um, and then some guy beating up some other guy and then looks like a typical protestant minister with a suit and tie holding a bible standing on a pulpit just kind of gives you this idea like all of this is just corrupt or something (laughs) but but like so i emailed um the jehovah's witness back and asked him like hey i'd be interested in talking to you about jesus and the bible um would you like to schedule a time at first i offered that they can come to my house i was like hey i'm i've never been sick during the pandemic i live all by myself i have no kids or pets I keep the house clean, you know, you don't have to worry about getting sick there you know we can you can come over and then he's like replied thanks for the invite but we don't come to people's houses right now we can talk over zoom and i was like that's fine my brother would like to join me and he's like hey that's great my wife would like to join me and so we scheduled it and it was last saturday so i went to daniel's house and we got on his zoom call with with them and we had a two-on-two discussion (laughs) Yeah. And so, yeah, we were, I I know John did a lot of studying and I did a lot of studying. We both prepared a lot of notes because we didn't know what this was, this discussion was going to be like. So we want to be prepared on any topic, especially 
you know, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, um, know, things like Paradise Earth, um, you know, anything like that. And I even prepared things for um, the fact that the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that the 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 Bible that we have takes out the divine name. So, you know, where you don't see Jehovah in the New Testament. So I had questions like that. But um, our conversation with them was a little disappointing because um, we found out at the beginning of the conversation that they were pioneer ministers. So they were a, they were an older couple. They were had been Jehovah's Witnesses for uh, at least he was uh, Jehovah's Witness for about 30 years. And so we're kind of excited about that, a little intimidated, but excited, you know, also thinking, well, they could probably answer a lot of our questions. But yeah. <laughs> as we're interacting with them at the beginning and they're kind of uh, talking about the issue of the tract, you know, who controls the world, and we're asking questions about that, the fact that we, quoted some verses you know i mentioned jesus said all power is given to me in heaven and earth he on the road to emmaus um, told his disciples about you know they you know you you're slow of heart not not to understand all that the scriptures say about me and and he expounded to them, so they said, you guys seem to know a lot about the scriptures. Are you here to argue with us? And, you know, we'd have to tell them, no, we just want to ask some questions and get some answers. You know, that's what we were trying to do. But the, um, as we were talking about things like the, the Trinity, and um, they started to get pretty antagonistic, like they kept iterating the fact that they did not want to argue um and if we were there to argue which we said we're not we want to ask questions but they didn't want to they they said they weren't prepared to go in depth into anything so you know we were okay with setting up another time that we could pick a topic we could discuss that topic in depth and everyone gets time to prepare for it but they they were questioning our motives for wanting to talk with them. They are questioning about, you know, if we're recording the conversation, if we're going to use it for something sinister. And, and so they said they didn't want to talk to us ever again. So um, we, we got a little bit in there in the form of questions to ask them, you know, we, um, John showed them, Isaiah 45, 23, where Jehovah God says that the word has gone out of me in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear, and then had them look at uh, Philippians 2, where it says that, you know, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear and confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And, you know, we could see that the wheels are spinning a little in their head there to try to figure out how to make sense of that. But other than that, they were very averse to having any kind of in-depth discussion because they didn't want to argue. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how, like, like, especially the wife was constantly saying, why are you here? Like, like, is she kept like, are you here to learn or are you here to argue? And it was, and, and she said, like, I can't figure it out because for, because like, it seems like you, you are agreeing with everything we have to say. So I'm kind of like suspicious as, as to what, why, uh, why you're here in the discussion. If, and if you, if you want to argue, because debate and argue is not nice and and we the whole conversation we did not say anything bad about anything they said we didn't criticize anything they believe we're just nodding our heads in a uh, with everything they said and and including when they were constantly telling us the doctrine of the Trinity is ridiculous. It's illogical. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's not taught in the Bible. 
The Bible clearly cl- claims that Jesus is a created being and he's not God. I mean, they they were saying this like blatantly at us. We we're just nodding. And then and then we just say, hey, uh, we have a question for you. Can you read these verses? And it's like, I didn't think we're the ones they're debating like they were. We, <laughs> we didn't say <laughs> anything like what you teach is ridiculous or like all we did was ask them questions and nod our heads to whatever they said. (laughs) Yeah. We didn't in any way demean them or cut them down. Even their beliefs. We were just there to try to get, see what they believe and ask questions to get them to think of course, but in no way were we confrontational. (laughs) (laughs) You just had to pick the right topics that they got. Uh, leery about, I guess. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, uh, I guess the Jehovah's Witness they 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 kind of come at it where they they have the upper hand, and a lot of times the people they're talking to don't feel comfortable with uh, their level of uh, scriptures or knowledge of the faith, uh, and, and so they. I can see how people could be intimidated. Uh, and to to me, it doesn't seem like it would take an awful lot if you if you have uh, you know what you believe, apologetics, and why you believe it. Uh, it. It doesn't take an awful lot to really you know counter somebody's odd <laughs> little heresies, I guess you would say. You know, saying that Jesus isn't God and that He was created and He's not. In a supernatural whatever so yeah definitely some key points there for people to be aware yeah and it's like my final plea when 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 the especially the wife just kept on wait is is there something wrong with my audio no i hear it just fine Okay, I was hearing an echo or something, but okay. Um, yeah, so like my final plea in the call was uh, like when the wife was like, keep on acting like suspicious about our motives and 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 saying that debating and arguing is not nice. And then I plead about like, just want to know because I'm excited, but that you're all um pioneer ministers and i just want to i i have a bunch of questions and i just want to ask you so i can find out what your view believes about this stuff and 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 then i plead about how like we need to like debate and argue and if you want to call it that is is how people learn things like if if there's people are having a conversation about uh, different views about religion. Maybe, maybe you're wrong. Maybe we're, we're wrong. Maybe we're, you know, we're all wrong, but it's healthy to talk about this stuff to find out if you're wrong and maybe put some like seeds in your head to, you will think about later and hash them through your mind to see if maybe you are wrong. Cause because they they kept on arguing that um look you're they say look you're not going to change our views so don't even bother like we're not going to believe in the trinity we're not going to are you trying to make converts out of us and we'd be no we're just asking questions and then i told them in my final plea like I know you're not going to convince us and we're not going to convince you this very day. The whole point is just to ask questions and learn from each other and, and be able to think about what we said later. And if we're, if we're wrong and if you're wrong, so be it. But you know, the only way you can be converted is, is to is to challenge each other and, and, and not just, what right. blind faith, basically? <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, just yeah, you know, because even if uh, assuming they had the, the correct stance on an argument, if you were to say, "Well, the scripture here says this," well, what do you think about that? Because you're not challenging; you're just saying, "I have a question." The scripture seems to conflict what you said, or maybe I don't understand. Trying to, you know, be mild about it yeah <laughs> and it, i can 
whenever you there's uh, conflicts, I can see how they might be defensive, but yeah, you know, just to approach that that way could be helpful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because if because from my point of view, if if what the Watchtower teaches about what the Bible says is correct, what's wrong with asking challenging questions? Because they should be able to give you the answers. And right. if they can, then that would give me a reason to, to convert to what the Watchtower teaches. But if the Watchtower can't give me the answers, then I really don't have a reason to convert. Like, that's the whole point <laughs> in asking those yeah. ch- challenging questions. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I, it just seems to me that just a little bit of sound scriptural teaching can go a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if nothing else, with the exchange of ideas and dialogue. Uh, so at some point, as you say, they can say, well, you're not going to change our mind. Well, that's fine. Then I, I guess our, our work here is done. <laughs> and so is yours. You know. uh, uh, but, you know, and, and maybe you could maybe uh, you know, put a stone in the shoe, as the saying goes, uh, to give them something to think about at some later point. Uh, so you never can tell what's going to come from that. Yeah, and I I think that the that COVID has wreaked havoc on <laughs> the Watchtower's evangelistic efforts since they still don't knock on. I don't know if they knock on houses around your area right now, but it seems like they don't knock on houses anymore. They're still they're still kind of as if it's March 2020, <laughs> and they they don't visit people's houses. They just um, mail out literature and um, do Zoom calls. And if they're not willing to really have a in depth dialogue, it seems like <laughs> like they're the Jehovah's Witnesses are kind of getting a, a little break from their service ministry where it used to be putting in hours knocking on doors. Now they're mailing out literature. I think they're kind of growing cold there and more antagonistic, you know, and, and just doing their duty and hoping that, uh, you know, maybe the typical Jehovah's Witness now hopes that no one replies. They just do their duty, you know, because I told my wife, I told John, you know, after our dialogue with the couple there that, um, you know, who, what do they expect? You know, who, who is more likely to follow up with mailed literature requesting to talk with them? Someone who just somehow is at the end of the ropes and is ignorant of things and thinks that, Hey, maybe I should talk to the Jehovah's witnesses. They probably have the answers after looking at some brief literature there or someone who really wants to talk with them because they're committed Christians. So I think they should be kind of grateful about that, that someone actually did want to talk with them, but the the likelihood is going to be someone who knows a little something about them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, I guess the Christians could take a, you know, a page in that book that, you know, it's the face to face, uh, the contact mm-hmm. where we can really convey the message of Christ, uh, whether we, we meet together you know, at a church gathering or whether we do our own knocking on doors. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't think Christians do enough of that. Whenever I was a young kid, they used to do a lot more. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just uh, dealing with those uh, knocks on the door from Jehovah's Witness or even Mormons don't have to be intimidating. <laughs> yeah. They certainly cannot. And, and I would uh, highly recommend folks uh, who listen to go out and grab your book. It's there freely available, not freely available on Amazon. <laughs> you got to pay a little bit of money for it. <laughs> yeah, it's not very expensive. You go to Amazon and you look for When the Watchtower Knocks, you can get the Kindle edition for. Uh, I believe two ninety nine, or that's know. what I paid oh, for. Oh, it's oh, like eight, eight something for the hardcover and two ninety nine for the digital. Yeah, so the so eight ninety nine for the 
the paperback and two ninety nine for the Kindle edition. You know, that's that's pocket change. And you mentioned Keith. There's a lot in there in that short book. There's a lot of doctrine. There's a lot of topics, and it's it's uh, a real engaging conversation with Jehovah's Witnesses. So it's not as I say in the back cover of the book. It's not a textbook about what they believe. You find out what they believe by reading an actual conversation with them. So it's kind of boots on the ground, um, conversational reading. So I think that's a good, um, you know, a good reason to get the book. <laughs> yeah. Now, as a, uh, an additional note, if, if people do want to find out what uh, Jehovah's Witness and others believe, uh, Andrew Rappaport has a book called What Do They Believe? And it gives a really quick rundown in about, I think, two or 300 pages about five major religions side by side. Uh, so if you want to crash course on what they believe, that's a good resource. Uh, but, but your book is still, uh, like I said, very conversational read. I would recommend it, highly recommend it to anybody. Um, now, we've been going for quite a while. There's other stuff in the book. <laughs> Like they believe in the 144,000 are only going to make it to heaven. And they believe other things about what heaven and, and hell will be like. And uh, I know there's there's more that we could go on. Uh, did you want to cover any of those? Or we could just uh, tie us up and you can tell folks where to find you guys online or? Oh yeah, I could I could briefly talk about the hundred hundred forty four thousand because I mean a lot of you know a lot of Christians might not understand their teaching on that. It isn't to say that there's only a hundred forty four thousand Jehovah's Witnesses. At least that's well, that's what their teaching used to be in their early days. But as their ranks grew, they kind of had to change uh, their doctrine. You know, basically the. 1930s there to accommodate their growing rank. So the 144,000 are the what's called the anointed class or the Christ class. So Jesus is one of the 144,000. So it's Jesus and then the other 143,999 Jehovah's Witnesses who are the special anointed class. They are the members of the new covenant. So anything in the New Testament that's addressed to people in the new covenant, it's really written only to them. They are the direct partakers of the new covenant promises. And they're the, yes, you said, Keith, they're the only ones who go to heaven. However, there are many other Jehovah's Witnesses, and those are called the great crowd, and the great crowd are the ones who will um, go to the paradise earth. So, you know, if you see Jehovah's Witness talking about you can have live forever in paradise, they're mostly talking about the typical you know, convert to the watchtower, um, you know, you, yeah, well, they, the, they believe that those in the new covenant, the anointed class, the special ones who are most likely in, who live near the headquarters and, uh, do higher up work there. They're the ones who uh, go to heaven, the rest go to the paradise earth. Um, uh, the, the anointed class actually are the only ones who can partake of their version of the Lord's Supper. So um, every year on uh, Nisan 14th, the Jewish, uh, you know, date for Passover, they have their version of the Lord's Supper. So once a year, they have the Memorial Supper, and they invite the public to go to it. And I, I can only imagine, I haven't tried going to it yet, but I can imagine it's, it's probably awkward when you're a ignorant member of the public who decides to attend it, because once you you go there and they start to pass the bread and the wine, it, it could end up being that no one in the gathering partakes because oh. only the anointed class, the ones in the new covenant, those who are of the 144,000 could actually partake because they're the only ones in the new covenant and the memorial supper is only for those in the new covenant. The great crowd are not in the new covenant, but they receive some of the blessings of the new covenant by virtue of 
being associated with the anointed class. So the great crowd basically looks to the anointed class as their superiors and their kind of bridge to Jehovah God. (laughs) And so as the elements are passed in the memorial supper, no one partakes who's not in the anointed class. So if you're someone who's curious, you go there, you might be scowling, wondering, why are you passing this bread and wine around? Just the plate or the basket gets passed from hand to hand to hand. No one's grabbing anything. And it's kind of like, let's thank the Lord for, you know, the blessings of the new covenant. But no, you know, they bake this bread and they have this wine and no one's actually partaking. This is really weird. I don't know whether I should or not, but I guess not. <laughs> well, I've asked uh, Jehovah's Witness, I was speaking to at one time about, well, how do you know if you're going to heaven? How do you know you're one of his 144,000? Well, you really don't. Like, then how do you know to take, you know, like you said, communion? <laughs> and I said, and he's like, well, the, what, isn't it better, don't you think, that we're all in, in the new earth, we're in the new paradise? I said, well, yeah, I, I suppose so, but that's not what the Bible teaches. I said, now, the, the, explain to me where it says 144,000, and it says uh, Jewish men who yeah. have not yet been with a woman. Yeah. So you're saying you're Jewish <laughs> and yeah. you're not married? <laughs> Yeah, because that's who the hundred forty-four thousand are. It says very clearly right there. Yeah, and they're divided so, evenly from the twelve tribes. So, the, yeah, do all the anointed class the, from the watchtower that are both men and women, regardless of their virginity or Jewishness, are they? So they're not. They're not from the 12 tribes of Israel, like if they want to take the Bible, literally, what do they do about that? Yeah. It's interesting that they could take, um, you know, the number strictly literally, but none of the features of that number. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that to me, that's a good way of of the, what they say the Bible says, but it's not what the Bible just said there. You know, clearly, I don't qualify to be in that 144, so by your rules, I'm, I would be part of that crowd living in the new, the new earth. Hey, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? But anyway, yeah. I, I know we could go on for quite some time. I think we might go ahead and call a, a halt to our discussion and uh, and everything and so now john do you have any uh, web presence blogging or podcasting or anything you do or oh me me no i i don't have a podcast right now i'm i'm just kind of doing my own thing like i'm like doing some writing and stuff but daniel does most of that work there all right yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to have him as a guest on True Espresso sometime. But yeah, yeah, and I, I do recall at first I didn't uh, until you mentioned your book came out last like June or July. I thought, oh yeah, you know, I remember he was on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah because we we had the we had the uh release uh we made the release video for when the book went live and then i had an it, we put the audio of that as an episode of truth spread so yeah <laughs> now and of course daniel you're going to talk about your podcast or folks can find you and, and yes listen. So Truth Espresso is a podcast. Uh, it covers a lot of topics, theology, politics, practical Christian living. Uh, my wife is currently, you know, a, a frequent co-host with me. And we talk about, we just finished a series talking about uh, biblical marriage and even just released episodes recently talking about like the biblical definition and grounds of divorce. So we have a lot of good stuff there. We have a lot of episodes talking about uh, abortion, 
and yeah, I have a, a series talking about um, comparing Jesus to superheroes, as you can learn from church history, the wrong ideas about Jesus compared to superheroes. And so, yeah, you can learn about the hypostatic union by comparing them to comic books. So yeah, lots of different topics on Truth Espresso there. That's my podcast. You can find it on any of your uh, podcast catchers, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, so on, or go to truthspresso.com. I also have a website called truthhub.org, which is basically kind of my publishing website that will also include a reference to Truthspresso. But yeah, those are my uh, websites. And so I hope that you all will check out Truth Espresso, Truth Hub, and, and look at uh, the book that we're talking about, When the Watchtower Knocks. All right. And uh, it's been nice to talk with both of you on the podcast today. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview. I really enjoyed participating in that interview. And I'm sure my brother John did, because that was the first time he was ever on a podcast. And I think he did pretty well for that. And I hope you enjoyed all that good information about Jehovah's Witnesses. And so, if you're interested in our book that we just talked about in that interview, When the Watchtower Knocks, Discussing an Encounter with Jehovah's Witnesses, I will provide a link to where you can get the book in the show notes. And so, stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso. And God bless.